News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. In 2020, North Carolina State Board of Elections Director Karen Brinson-Bell made a successful push for the state to establish an online absentee ballot portal uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, emails show such a portal was already in the works long before the pandemic began. So begins... The report at the North State Journal, nsjonline.com, uh, the report done by A.P. Dillon, who joins us now. Hey, A.P., how are you? Hey, Pete, how are you doing? I am doing well, doing well. So let's go over the players. I've already mentioned uh, Karen Brinson-Bell. She's the uh, elections director. But we also have uh, these three organizations, Democracy Live, Omniballot, and Tusk. So let's first start with Democracy Live. Who are they? Well, Democracy Live is an organization that does online ballot portals and ballot tablets and uh, mobile voting um, applications. Omniballot is the one that um, they were using to power the North Carolina State absentee ballot portal during the pandemic. So this is what we had in place in 2020, Omniballot, which was the system utilized by Democracy Live. Yes, Democracy Live is still powering the absentee ballot portal for um, overseas voting and for uh, absentee ballots. Um, it, it, w- it was reactivated um, ahead of the primaries. So this is ongoing right now? Yeah. Okay. And, all right, so we've got Democracy Live. They use this system called Omniballot. Mm-hmm. What is Democracy Live's connection to an organization called Tusk Philanthropies? Well, uh, emails that we were able to get through records requests showed that um, starting back in June of 2019, uh, Democracy Live had sent emails to the um, North Carolina State Board of Elections, the NCSB, and uh, they had been offering um, absentee ballot portal technologies, um, you know, bringing your absentee ballots online, that kind of thing. Um, those conversations started around then, and during those conversations, uh, the NCSB was offered uh, grant money that would help pay for such a ballot portal. Um, and those that grant money was coming from an organization called Tusk Philanthropies. Tusk Philanthropies is an offshoot of another organization. Um, it's uh, got uh, Tusk Ventures, I believe, is the overall arching mm-hmm. um, organization. It's an offshoot of that, and they have two main campaigns that Tusk Philanthropy does. One is mobile voting, and the other one is an anti-hunger campaign. Um, so there was money that was outside money similar to that of, like, uh, Zuck Bucks, the, the Center for Civic Tech and Life, and the Arnold Schwarzenegger Institute grants that came to um, county-level and state-level boards of elections during the 2020 elections. And those were uh, those grant programs were administered under the premise that, oh, my gosh, everyone's dying of COVID. We can't run a normal election cycle and we need all this extra money to do it. And uh, here comes Mark Zuckerberg and Arnold to the rescue uh, with their foundation money. And look at them. They care about democracy so much that they funded uh, these local boards of elections, but also in some cases, a lot of cases, volunteers to go out and do registration and the like. And uh, for some reason, the money seemed to focus in Democrat-held areas, but I'm sure that's just coincidental. Uh, So that's sort of the same idea behind this Tusk Philanthropies organization, it sounds like. And they were the ones offering the money, and Democracy Live was the one that said to the Board of Elections, hey, we got grants 
that we can hook you up with from Tusk. Is that it? Is that about yeah, the size of that it? Was, but that was in 2019, prior to COVID. So right. this money would have been in advance of any kind of federal money that came out for the ballot portal in 2020. Um, and we got the NCSBA on the record. Basically, they told us that we did not request or receive a grant from Tusk Philanthropies. Uh, we also asked them if they had contact with them um, or anyone from that organization, if Director Bell had any any contact with them. And they initially said no, but then emails that we received later showed that there had been meetings and Zoom meetings and calls and that sort of thing that had taken place. So they did not take the grant money. No. Nope. And so they did not implement this until 2020 when they used government money, right? Yeah. So almost a year later, uh, there was a hearing, I believe it was in June of 2020, where uh, the director went in front of the legislature and talked about the need for an absentee ballot portal given COVID and social distancing and people wanting to be safe while voting. Um, during that hearing, nobody really asked, nor did they know to ask if there was any any players in the works already, if any companies had contacted them already for this kind of work. Um, so that wasn't mentioned at all during that hearing. All right. So now let's chat about Omniballot. This is the, uh, the, the program, right, that Democracy Live! uses that we have in North Carolina for military and overseas balloting, but also our absentee ballot. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is... There's a bit of a of a problem with Omniballot that you uncovered. What is this? This uh, security analysis. There was a yeah. It was done in 2020. It was a report um, done by a gentleman named Michael Spector out of MIT, and another gentleman named J. Alex Halderman out of the University of Michigan. Um, and their report had a line in there which was uh, fairly cogent to the conversation. It says Omniballot uses a simplistic approach to internet voting that is vulnerable to vote manipulation by malware on the voter's device or by insiders and or attackers who can compromise Democracy Live, Amazon, Google, or Cloudflare. So, obviously, Karen Brinson-Bell and and the experts at the Board of Elections, they obviously would have assessed the security risk, and they probably would have seen this report, right? Well, we asked them about the report, and they didn't. They didn't answer our question as, as to whether they had seen it, viewed it, or or considered it. Um, they did say that they had sent uh, the proposal for Democracy Live over to the Office of Department of Information Technology (DIT), and that it had passed muster for you know use at the state level. Um, but they didn't offer a whole lot of detail behind that. One of the other problems you mentioned there, Cloudflare. Democracy Live! uses Cloudflare to replicate its services on foreign-based servers as a part of its content delivery network services to the overseas voters, including military voters. So why is that a problem? Well, I I do believe that, uh, you know, anything that's being hosted outside the state runs afoul to um, states' um, information technology policies. Um, we're not supposed to host things outside of the state like that. They're supposed to be on servers in, within the state. Um, at least that was my understanding, and we're still trying to get some clarification from the State Board of Elections and from DIT on that. Um, the Specter Halderman report raised a bunch of different um, issues with on the ballot um, that they could, uh, they could have a problem with their privacy policy. Um, that it could receive personally identifiable information, including voter identity, ballot selections, uh, browser fingerprints that could be used 
to target, quote, political ads or disinformation campaigns. So this report had a number of different problems with the Omniballot system, and Omniballot um, itself is is what was is has multiple vulnerabilities. But um, we reached out to Democracy Live about it and asked that it, if it had been uh, CISA certified. Um, that's the U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure uh, Security Agency CISA. Mm-hmm. We asked about that, and um, their their director, their president over there, a guy named Brian Finney, told us that we have recently reached out to CISA to schedule another review and are waiting to hear back. So um, it's they, they, it was neither here nor there, their answer that they gave us. Right. And I noticed that that's a theme in a lot of these responses that you got in this report. There's a lot of uh, non-answering of the direct question, but an answer that kind of is... Uh, is answer adjacent, if you will. Uh, so it's kind of sort of related, but it's not an answer to the direct question you ask. Uh, all right. And so uh, obviously this is the, the first phase. Uh, you've uncovered all of this stuff. How long did all of this uh, take you uh, to put together? Well, uh, I started digging into this, um, I would say, March to April of last year. Um I started digging around and, and doing records requests. So I, it's been about a year in the making. And um, this was just part one. Yeah. <laughs> we have more information that will be coming out with a deeper dive into tough philanthropy. And also more information about the lead up to 2020. And uh, there's another records request that we are still calling through um, that had responses uh, that were relevant to active voting during 2020 and issues with the system. So you can read this piece at nsjonline.com. It's written by A.P. Dillon. Great work. Thanks so much. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT nsjonline.com. That's the website, nsjonline.com. It stands for North State Journal. And uh, the piece by A.P. Dillon, we just uh, spoke with, goes into also some of the people behind the organization of Democracy Live. So, again, Democracy Live has a system called Omniballot. Okay? Omniballot uses, according to the security analysis that was done by uh, this guy up at MIT and another guy at uh, University of Michigan. They say Omniballot uses a simplistic approach to Internet voting that is vulnerable to vote manipulation by malware on the voter's device and by insiders or other attackers who can compromise Democracy Live, Amazon, Google, or cloud uh, Cloudflare is the name of the uh, platform. Democracy Live offered grant funding from Tusk Philanthropies. Okay, so before the pandemic ever hit, you've got Democracy Live going around trying to convince boards of elections to adopt Omniballot. And the boards of elections are like, oh, gosh, I'd really love to be able to open up our systems for fraud, but... We just we don't have the money. We don't have the money, and so yeah, I can't do it. Democracy Live then replies, "It's okay. 
we have this organization that we work with called Tusk Philanthropies, and they can totally hook you up with some grant money. I mean, it's not going to cover the whole cost of it, maybe like, you know, 70, 80%. And then you just got to come up with a match. This was in the works prior to the pandemic. But for some reason, and it is not clear in any of the statements made by the Board of Elections to the North State Journal's AP Dillon, we don't know why, but they did not apply for the grant. They said we did not request nor receive a grant from Tusk Philanthropies. All right. Did you get a grant from somebody else? See, these are the questions now you have to ask when you deal with people that engage in weasel wording. And that's what Brinson Bell does. That became very clear when she got, you know, hauled down in front of the legislature for entering into the collusive agreement with the attorney general and the left-wing groups backed by Mark Elias, the Democrat lawyer at the heart of the Steele dossier hoax. Right? When they cut those deals and Brinson Bell started issuing these statements, it became very clear that she's all about the weasel words. Remember, the, oh, we didn't change the law. We just changed the rules because the rules are so different than the law. Tusk Philanthropies. It's one of several properties housed under a larger organization called Tusk Ventures, a New York-based venture capital firm. Tusk, Inc. was founded in 2011 by Bradley Tusk, a Democrat political strategist who was the acting campaign manager for Michael Bloomberg's 2009 mayoral re-election bid. Tusk Philanthropies was headed up by... Sheila Nix. Does that name sound familiar to you, Sheila Nix? It should. The former chief of staff to Jill Biden when her husband served as vice president under the Obama administration. Interesting. This is what I mean. Whenever you hear these people talk about our democracy, just assume that they actually mean the Democratic Party. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT, got a tweet. It's a Pete tweet from Justin. He says, I was told foreign servers were all a conspiracy. Fair point. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Oh, by the way, speaking of elections, the three Democratic candidates for Mecklenburg County Sheriff are going to debate live on WBT Tuesday, April 26th. So uh, less than a week away, six days from now, the debate's hosted by the Fraternal Order of Police and will be moderated by our own Brett Jensen. It's at 6.30 p.m. Tuesday. Uh, It's going to run 90 minutes. It'll be commercial-free and it'll be broadcast here on WBT and I believe only here on WBT. The three Democratic candidates that are going to participate are Sheriff Gary McFadden, Gina Hicks, and Mark is it Marquise or Marquis Robinson? You know, if he ran with the name Mark Robinson, it might actually improve his chances. Actually, probably not in a Democrat primary. Probably not. Uh, 
There is no GOP primary for sheriff, and if I remember correctly, when I looked at the ballot, I don't even know if they've got a Republican running. But anyway, so the, um, oh, also I should point out, and now I've lost the, sorry, now I've lost the note uh, that I wrote. Let me see if I can pull up the email, because the Board of Elections sent out their, um, yeah, now I don't have it. I have misplaced the note that had the info on it, because voter registration, here it is. I remember it. Voter registration uh, ends. If you want to uh, uh, vote, you, it ends on the on Friday. And if you want to change parties, it ends on Friday. Unless, of course, you vote early, which comes later. Which makes total sense. All right, so you, so you have a deadline. If you want to change your voter registration or register to vote, you got to do it by Friday. And then, and by the way, you know, people are already requesting absentee ballots and all of that stuff. Um, but if you fail to register to vote, don't worry. Uh, you can uh, register to vote when you vote early, which is later from right now. Does that make sense? I still don't feel like I'm explaining this well. Yeah, I'll go find the email. I'm seriously like I had the you know the problem is I wrote this down on a scrap of paper and then I as I do the show, I start moving my papers around. And then I lose track of where. Oh, here it is. Okay, I found it. Voter registration. Oh, I was right. See that? Off of memory. Look at that. Steel trap, my friends. The brain. Steel trap. Voter registration deadline is Friday. The primary is May 17th. Uh, if you want to change your party identification, got to do it by Friday. You can register when you vote early. They call it one stop early voting. You know, the, the early voting period of like 10 days or 15 days, whatever it is, you can actually show up during that window, not be registered to vote, register and vote right there. You're, yeah. Such a mockery of the laws we have made. Anyway, um, the, yes, the Democratic candidates debate Tuesday, which I had to do a double check on this because... At first, I thought, oh, man, what happened over there at the Observer? They've posted a, the, that old story. They've posted it again as if it's a news story. But no, no. It's another death at the Mecklenburg County Jail. I kind of think this might be a problem for the incumbent sheriff. What do you think? <laughs> Seriously. There's been like five deaths since last May. So five. De- so like one every other month. A South Carolina man being held at the Mecklenburg County Detention Center in Charlotte died Tuesday in what is being called a suicide. William Ryan Smith, 47, what, uh, 47 years old, was found uh, in his cell at approximately 4.54 p.m. Uh, attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. There were no signs of foul play and all preliminary uh, pre- preliminary reports. I got to get some water. Uh Indicate suicide. The State Bureau of Investigation will conduct a thorough investigation as the medical examiner determines the official cause of death. Ryan Smith's death comes at a time when the jail faces accusations of being unsafe, including a lawsuit filed this week by the mother of a 17-year-old who was also found dead from suicide back in November of 2020. Ryan Smith is the fifth death reported at the jail since May, and jail records indicate that uh, this guy, Ryan Smith, was arrested on a charge of possession of a stolen motor vehicle. 
I think that might come up. What do you think? Yeah, I think that might come up. Um, also, I'll tell you about this, too. On Thursday, so tomorrow, from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m., uh, Disabled American Veterans and uh, Recruit Military, they're doing the Charlotte Veterans Job Fair. DAV and Recruit Military joining forces to attract Hire and retain military veterans and military spouses in the Charlotte area. This is a free hiring event for all transitioning members of the military, veterans, military spouses, as well as dependents. Where is it going to be, Pete? Glad you asked. Bojangles Coliseum. Bojangles Coliseum. And uh, there is a website that you can go to. I'm looking forward to, to, to do, to, to, well, if you, well. Go, go run a search on Charlotte Veterans Job Fair. It'll pop up, and um, it's tomorrow, 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. So basically during this program, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not offended. It's okay. You can go and listen, or you can go and uh, do the job fair, and then when you get out, after having told everybody that, you know, you gave up listening to my show in order to be at the job fair, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. We should hire you right now. Then... Uh, then you get back in the car and then you turn me back on or get the podcast at WBT.com. See, I'm all about solutions here. All right. We started off the program on education. I'm going to circle back like Jen Pisaki likes to do or says she likes to do Leandro. It's the Leandro case. The new judge overseeing North Carolina's long running school funding lawsuit Wanted another seven days to issue his ruling. And actually, I just saw. uh, Yeah, I just saw that he got it because he asked the uh, state Supreme Court. Could he have an extra week in order to consider the case? The the judge in this case, special superior court judge Michael Robinson. And he was supposed to be issuing an order or a ruling today which would be the end of a 30-day period that the state Supreme Court gave him to review this case called Leandro, named after one of the original plaintiffs. Um, But he needed more time. He said, basically, like, there's a lot of material here because the case has been going on for three decades plus. It's been a while. And uh, Robinson took over the case after the Supreme Court Chief Justice Paul Newby replaced David Lee, who is the Union County retired judge, and he swapped out Lee. Lee was the judge who ordered the transfer of hundreds of millions, or we don't even know where actually know how high it could have gone. It could have gone to like uh, $1.7 billion or something. But he ordered the distribution of money out of the Treasury and into K-12 education in clear contravention of constitutional restraints on the judiciary because the legislature is not a party to the lawsuit and the legislature has the power of the purse, as anybody who took Civics 101 knows. So now there's a new judge in the case. I'm going to go into a little bit more because the original judge, he has weighed in on some of this and he is not happy.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com as well. Um, but, but, uh, t- 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 oh, and get the podcast, obviously, at WBT.com. So uh, special, oops, sorry, that buzz on the line is from me. I unplugged my uh, laptop. I apologize. Anyway, uh, Superior Court Judge Michael Robinson, he was supposed to issue a ruling today in the Leandro school funding lawsuit. It's been going on since 1997. And uh, when the original judge, Howard Manning, uh, he stepped down. He got old and uh, I think he had some health issues. And so he stepped down. His replacement was then named by the, uh, I think it was the, I believe it was I believe it was the state Supreme Court, but it might very well have been the governor. I forget who appointed um, I forget who appointed David Lee out of Union County, but he took over. He's a Democrat. He took over the case and he's the one who issued this ruling that said uh, the state has to fund education by like one point seventy five billion dollars more then it is already funding the schools because the state has a constitutional requirement to provide what Howard Manning had determined to be a sound basic education. Okay, this created a constitutional crisis in North Carolina because you have a judge on the judiciary, right, that branch, telling the legislative branch that it is supposed to fund an executive branch priority even though the legislative branch controls the purse strings. Spending bills come from, originate from, and must be passed by the legislature. Not the executive, not the judiciary. So it created this problem. So the chief justice of the state Supreme Court, Paul Newby, wins over Sherry Beasley. He beats her. Uh, Now she's running for U.S. Senate. So he beats her. And he then has, um, he appoints a different judge. And that's this guy, Michael Robinson, who was supposed to issue an order today. But he's like, there's a lot of stuff I need to go over. So can I have an extra week? He got the extra week. He has now scheduled an online hearing for 2 p.m. Friday, which will focus on, quote, disagreements over figures contained in the different parties' submissions to the court. And lawyers should be prepared to explain the handling of overfunding. All right, so that's a Friday uh, event going on. Now, I mentioned the original judge, Howard Manning. David Bass at uh, uh, Carolina Journal talked with Howard Manning. They got a, he got a sit-down interview with the former Superior Court judge. And here's what Manning said, quote, It's a failure of classroom instruction Pure and simple. The money is not the point. The public schools get plenty of money. Manning added that he is angry with poorly performing schools that do not adequately teach young people. Quote, if this was GM or Ford or IBM or Apple, they would shut down every one of these schools because they're not producing. Manning was the trial judge appointed to handle the Leandro case back in 1997. He presided over the case until 2016 when he retired for medical reasons. 
The Leandro lawsuit dates all the way back to 1995. Five rural school districts sued the state over education funding. And the state Supreme Court has ruled twice since then, in 97, but then again in 04, that the state does in fact have a constitutional obligation to provide the, quote, sound basic education, as they call it, for for all students. Manning goes on to say, quote, everybody agrees that if you can't read by the end of third grade, you're not going to be successful. Based on all the evidence, there is no excuse for a child getting to the end of third grade and not being able to read. If you spend the money in my book, he says, you spend the money where it's going to do the most good. And that is teaching the kid how to read. Manning also shared personal stories uh, about, he uh, was going over like a high school, a Plymouth high school in Washington County. He said, I drove up during my lunch hour. I noticed the parking spaces and the cars that are in the spots. He notes a Cadillac, a Mercedes, another Mercedes in the school parking lot. And I said, hey, where did you get the money to buy this car? And this was uh, the school superintendent. And he said, oh, I got a smart comptroller, one of the executive staffers with the money, you know. He saw a finance offer and found uh, the $24,000 and we got a deal on it. So this was a this was a a government school funded car allowance or purchase. That's what he was talking about. And so Howard Manning, upon hearing this from the superintendent saying, you dropped 24K and yeah, you got a deal on this. But he said, well, this reading program, Play-Doh, it's only $8,000, but you didn't have the money to buy that. And he didn't say a damn word after that. I mean, I couldn't believe he spent $24,000 on a brand new damn car that started itself and the children in the high school didn't have Plato. When Manning came back to visit three months later, the parking lot looked very different, he said. Quote, we got there and in the school secretary's parking place was an old beat up Cadillac. When the superintendent came over, he was driving a 15 year old green school van. Yeah, it's not the money. News is next.